Section 37 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lost Charm Once upon a time, when Brahmadatta was king of Benares, the family of his household priest was destroyed by malarial fever. One son only broke through the wall and escaped. He came to Takasala and, under a world-renowned teacher, learnt the Vedas and the other arts. Then he bade his teacher farewell and departed, with the intent to travel in different regions, and on his travels he arrived at a frontier village. Near to this was a great village of low-caste Kandalas. Then the Bodhisatta abode in this village, a learned sage, a charm he knew which could make fruit to be gathered out of due season. Early of a morning he would take his carrying-pole forth from that village he would go, until he reached a mango-tree which grew in the forest, and standing seven foot off, he would recite that charm, and throw a handful of water so as to strike on that tree. In a twinkling, down fall sere leaves, sprout forth the new, flowers blow and flowers fall, the mango-fruits swell out. But one moment they are ripe, they are sweet and luscious, they grow like fruit divine, they drop from the tree. The great being chooses and eats such as he will, then fills the baskets hung from his pole, goes home and sells the fruit, and so finds a living for wife and child. Now the young Brahmin saw the great being offer ripe mangoes for sale out of season. Without doubt, thought he, it must be by virtue of some charm that these are grown. This man can teach me a charm which has no price. He watched to see the manner in which the great being procured his fruit, and found it out exactly. Then he went to the great being's house at the time when he was not yet returned from the forest, and, making as though he knew nothing, asked the wise man's wife, "'Where is the teacher?' quoth she. "'Gone to the woods.' He stood waiting until he saw him come, then went to him, and, taking the pole and baskets from him, carried them into the house, and there set them. The great being looked at him and said to his wife, "'Lady, this youth has come to get the charm, but no charm will stay with him, for no good man is he.' But the youth was thinking, "'I will get the charm by being my teacher's servant.' And so from that time he did all that was to be done in the house, brought wood, pounded the rice, did the cooking, brought all that was needed for washing the face, washed the feet. One day, when the great being said to him, "'My son, bring me a stool to support my feet,' the youth, seeing no other way, kept the great teacher's feet on his own thigh all night. When at a later season the great being's wife brought forth a son, he did all the service that has to be done at a childbirth. The wife said one day to the great being, "'Husband, this lad, well-born though he is, for the charm's sake performs menial services for us. Let him have the charm, whether it stays with him or no.' To this he agreed. He taught him the charm, and spoke after this fashion. "'My son, tis a priceless charm, and you will get great gain and honor thereby. But when the king or his great minister shall ask you who was your teacher, do not conceal my name.' For if you are ashamed that a low-caste man taught you the charm, and say your teacher was a great magnate of the Brahmins, you will have no fruit of the charm. 
"'Why should I hide your name?' quoth the lad. "'Whenever I am asked, I shall say it is you.' Then he saluted his teacher, and from the low-caste village he departed, pondering on the charm, and in due time came to Benares. There he sold mangoes and gained much wealth. Now on a day the keeper of the park presented to the king a mango which he had bought from him. The king, having eaten it, asked whence he procured so fine a fruit. "'My lord,' was the answer, "'there is a young man who brings mangoes out of season and sells them. From him I procured it.' "'Tell him,' says the king, "'from henceforth to bring the mangoes hither to me.' This man did, and from that time the young man took his mangoes to the king's household. The king, inviting him to enter his service, he became a servant of the king, and gaining great wealth, by degrees he grew into the king's confidence. One day the king asked him, he said, "'Young man, where do you get these mangoes out of season, so sweet and fragrant and of fine color?' Does some naga or garula give them to you, or a god, or is this the power of magic? No one gives them to me, O mighty king, replied the young man, but I have a priceless charm, and this is the power of the charm. Well, then, we should like to see the power of the charm one of these days. By all means, my lord, I will show it, quoth he. Next day the king went with him into the park, and asked to be shown this charm. The young man was willing, and, approaching a mango-tree, stood at a distance of seven foot from it, and repeated the charm, throwing water against the tree. On the instant the mango-tree had fruit in the manner above described, a shower of mangoes fell, a very storm. The company showed great delight, waving their kerchiefs. The king ate of the fruit, and gave him a great reward, and said, "'Young man, who taught you this charm so marvelous?' Now thought the young man, "'If I say a low-caste kandala taught me, "'I shall be put to shame, and they will flout at me. "'I know the charm by heart, and now I can never lose it. "'Well, I will say it was a world-renowned teacher.' So he lied, and said, "'I learned it at Takasala from a teacher renowned the wide world over.' As he said the words, denying his teacher, that very instant the charm was gone. But the king, greatly pleased, returned with him into the city. On another day the king desired mangoes to eat, and, going into the park and taking his seat upon a stone bench, which was used on state occasions, he bade the youth get him mangoes. The youth, willing enough, went up to a mango tree, and, standing at a distance of seven foot from the tree, set about repeating the charm. But the charm would not come. Then he knew that he had lost it, and stood there ashamed. But the king thought, Formerly this fellow gave me mangoes, even in the midst of a crowd, and like a heavy shower rained the fruit down. Now there he stands, like a stalk. What can the reason be? which he inquired by repeating the first stanza. "'Young student, when I asked it you of late, you brought the mango-fruit both small and great. Now no fruit, Brahmin, on the tree appears, though the same charm you still reiterate.' When he heard this, the young man thought to himself, 
If he should say this day no fruit was to be had, the king would be wroth. Wherefore he thought to deceive him with a lie, and repeated the second stanza. The hour and moment suit not, so wait I, fit junction of the planets in the sky. The due conjunction and the moment come, then I will bring you mangoes plenteously. What is this? the king wondered. The fellow said nothing of planetary conjunctions before. To resolve which questions, he repeated two stanzas. You said no word of times and seasons, nor of planetary junctions heretofore, but mangoes fragrant, delicate in taste, of color fine, you brought in plenteous store. Aforetime, Brahman, you produced so well, fruit on the tree by muttering of your spell. Today you cannot mutter as you may. What means this conduct? I would have you tell. Hearing this, the youth thought, There is no deceiving the king with lies. If, when the truth is told, he punishes me, let him punish me, but the truth I will tell. Then he recited two stanzas. A low-caste man my teacher was, who taught duly and well the charm, and how it wrought, saying, If you are asked by name and birth, hide nothing, or the charm will come to naught. Asked by the Lord of men, though well I knew, yet in deceit I said what was not true. A Brahmin's spells, I lying said, and now, charm lost, my folly bitterly I rue. This heard, the king thought within himself, This sinful man took no care of such a treasure. When one has a treasure so priceless, what has birth to do with it? And in anger he repeated the following stanzas. Nim castor oil or Judas tree, whatever be the tree, where he who seeks finds honeycombs, tis best of trees, thinks he. Be it Katia, Brahman, Vesa, he from whom a man learns right, Suda, Kandala, Pukasa, seems chiefest in his sight. Punish the worthless churl, or even slay, hence hail him by the throat without delay, who having gained a treasure with great toil, throws it with overweening pride away. The king's men so did, saying, Go back to your teacher and win his forgiveness. Then, if you can learn the charm once more, you may come hither again. But if not, never more may you set eyes on this country. Thus they banished him. The man was all forlorn. There is no refuge for me, he thought, except my teacher. To him I will go and win his pardon and learn the charm again. So lamenting, he went on his way to that village. The great being perceived him coming, and pointed him out to his wife, saying, "'See, lady, here comes that scoundrel again, with his charm lost and gone.' The man approached the great being, and greeted him, and sat on one side. "'Why are you here?' asked the other. "'Oh, my teacher,' the man said, "'I uttered a lie, and denied my teacher, and I am utterly ruined and undone.' Then he recited his transgression in a stanza, asking again for the charms. Oft he who thinks the level ground is lying at his foot, falls in a pool, pit, precipice, trips on a rotten root. 
Another treads what seems a cord, a jet-black snake to find. Another steps into the fire because his eyes are blind. So I have sinned and lost my spell. But you, O oh teacher wise, forgive and let me once again find favor in your eyes. Then his teacher replied, What say you, my son? Give but a sign to the blind. He goes clear of pools and what not. But I told it to you once, and what do you want here now? Then he repeated the following stanzas. To you in right due manner I did tell, you in due manner rightly learnt the spell, full willingly its nature I explained, ne'er had it left you, had you acted well. Who with much toil, O fool, hath learnt a spell, full hard for those who now in this world dwell, then, foolish one, a living gained at last, throws all away because he lies will tell to such a fool unwise of lying fain, ungrateful who cannot himself restrain. Spells, quotha, mighty spells we give not him. Go hence away and ask me not again. Thus dismissed by his teacher, the man thought, What is life to me? And plunging into the woods, died forlorn. THE PRINCE'S WOOING AND THE THRONE OF THE BUDDHAS Once upon a time in the kingdom of Kalinga, and in the city of Dantapura, reigned a king named Kalinga. He had two sons named Maha Kalinga and Kula Kalinga, Kalinga the greater and the less. Now fortune-tellers had foretold that the eldest son would reign after his father's death, but that the youngest would live as an ascetic and live by alms, yet his son would be a universal monarch. Time passed by, and on his father's death the eldest son became king, the youngest viceroy. The youngest, ever thinking that a son born of him was to be a universal monarch, grew arrogant on that account. This the king could not brook, so sent a messenger to arrest Kalinga the less. The man came and said, "'Prince, the king wishes to have you arrested, so save your life. The prince showed the courtier charged with this mission his own signet ring, a fine rug, and his sword. These three. Then he said, By these tokens you shall know my son, and make him king. With these words he sped away into the forest. There he built him a hut in a pleasant place, and lived as an ascetic upon the bank of a river. Now in the kingdom of Mada, and in the city of Sagala, a daughter was born to the king of Mada. Of the girl, as of the prince, fortune-tellers foretold that she should live as an ascetic, but her son was to be a universal monarch. The kings of India, hearing this rumor, came together with one accord and surrounded the city. The king thought to himself, Now, if I give my daughter to one, all the other kings will be enraged. I will try to save her. So with wife and daughter he fled, disguised away into the forest. And after building him a hut some distance up the river, above the hut of Prince Kalinga, he lived there as an ascetic, eating what he could pick up. The parents, wishing to save their daughter, left her behind in the hut, and went out to gather wild fruits. While they were gone, she gathered flowers of all kinds, and made them into a flower wreath, now on the bank of the Ganges 
there was a mango tree with beautiful flowers which forms a kind of natural ladder upon this she climbed and playing managed to drop the wreath of flowers into the water one day as prince kalinga was coming out of the river after a bath this flower wreath caught in his hair he looked at it and said some woman made this and no full-grown woman but a tender young girl i must make search for her so deeply in love he journeyed up the ganges until he heard her singing in a sweet voice as she sat in the mango tree he approached the foot of the tree and seeing her said what are you fair lady i am human sir she replied come down then quoth he sir i cannot i am of the warrior caste so am i also lady come down no no sir that i cannot do saying will not make a warrior if you are so tell me the secrets of the caste then they repeated to each other these caste secrets and the princess came down and they were united one with the other when their parents returned she told them about this son of the king of kalinga and how he came into the forest in all detail they consented to give her to him while they lived together in happy union the princess conceived and after ten months brought forth a son with the signs of good luck and virtue and they named him kalinga he grew up and learnt all arts and accomplishments from his father and grandfather at length his father knew from conjunctions of the stars that his brother was dead so he called his son and said my son you must not spend your life in the forest your father's brother kalinga the greater is dead you must go to dantapura and receive your hereditary kingdom then he gave him the things he had brought away with him signet rug and sword saying my son in the city of dantapura in such a street lives a courtier who is my very good servant descend into his house and enter his bedchamber and show him these three things and tell him you are my son he will place you upon the throne the lad bade farewell to his parents and grandparents by the magic power of his virtue he passed through the air and descending into the house of that courtier entered his bedchamber who are you asked the other the son of kalinga the less he said disclosing the three tokens the courtier told it to the palace and all those of the court decorated the city and spread the umbrella of royalty over his head then the family priest who was named kalinga Bharadvaja, taught him the ten ceremonies which a universal monarch has to perform and he fulfilled those duties then on the fifteenth day the fast day came to him from kakadaha the precious wheel of empire from the upasata stock the precious elephant from the royal valaha breed the precious horse from vipula the precious jewel and the precious wife retinue and prince made their appearance then he achieved sovereignty in the whole terrestrial sphere one day surrounded by a company which covered six-and-thirty leagues and mounted upon an elephant all white tall as a peak of mount kalasa in great pomp and splendor he went to visit his parents but beyond the circuit around the great bow-tree the throne of victory of all the buddhas which has become the very navel of the earth beyond this the elephant was unable to pass again and again the king urged him on 
but pass he could not. Hereupon the king's chaplain, who was traveling with the king, thought to himself, "'In the air is no hindrance. Why cannot the king make his elephant go on? I will go and see.' Then, descending from the air, he beheld the throne of victory of all Buddhas, the navel of the earth, that circuit around the great bow-tree. At that time, it is said, for the space of a royal karisa was never a blade of grass, not so big as a hare's whisker. It seemed as it were a smooth-spread sand, bright like a silver plate. But on all sides were grass, creepers, mighty trees like the lords of the forest, as though standing in reverent wise all about, with their faces turned towards the throne of the bow-tree. When the Brahmin beheld this spot of earth, this, thought he, is the place where all the Buddhas have crushed all the desire of the flesh, and beyond this none can pass. No, not if he were Saka himself. Then approaching the king, he told him the quality of the bow-tree circuit, and bade him descend. Pierced and pierced again by the king, this elephant could not endure the pain, and so died. But the king knew not he was dead, and sat there still on his back. Then Kalinga Varadvaja said, O great king, your elephant is dead, pass on to another. By the magical power of the king's virtue, another beast of the Upasatha breed appeared and offered his back. The king sat on his back. At that moment the dead elephant fell upon the earth. Thereupon the king came down from the air, and, beholding the precinct of the bow-tree, and the miracle that was done, he praised Bharadvaja, saying, To Kalinga Bharadvaja, King Kalinga thus did say, All thou knowest and understandest, and thou seest all, alway. Now the Brahmin would not accept this praise, but standing in his own humble place, he extolled the Buddhas and praised them. The king, hearing the virtues of the Buddhas, was delighted in heart, and he caused all the dwellers in the world to bring fragrant wreaths in plenty, and for seven days he made them do worship at the circuit of the great bow-tree. Having in this manner done worship to the great bow-tree, he visited his parents and took them back with him again to Dantapura, where he gave alms and did good deeds, until he was born again in the heaven of the thirty-three. End of section 37